the All Saints podcast. So if you're watching on video, you will certainly be able to see. And if you're listening to the audio version of this podcast, you may be able to hear that this is not the usual setup, not in the usual place with the usual camera, the usual microphone and everything else. Instead of being in my office at the church, uh, I'm here in my home in Fort Worth uh, in a room in our house where um, my family and I have been isolating since Monday because on Monday we were diagnosed with COVID-19. So that means we've not been able to go out, do the usual things. Uh, but nonetheless, I thought um, uh, it's now Friday. I'm feeling a good deal better. So thank you to those who've been praying for us. Um, uh, it's um, been okay the last few days. We've been up and down, but I think pretty much we're on the mend now. Uh, so thank you very much. Please do keep praying. Uh, for others in the church and outside the church, there are some known to us both within and beyond the congregation who are not well at all at the moment. And a large number of people have come down with COVID in the last couple of weeks. So please do keep them in your prayers, as I'm sure you are doing. But it's Friday and um, I thought, well, we've still got time to get another podcast recorded and hopefully edited and out by Monday morning. And therefore, I thought it would be a good opportunity just to pick up a footnote to the previous episode on the subject of the family, which is what we were talking about last time and touch on a, a subtopic, if you like, under that heading, namely the subject of education. So that's what I'd like to talk about today. Um, you remember we were talking about the family in the context of uh, the biblical and biblical theological background uh, to God's purposes in the world and the significance of families uh, in his plan for uh, his people and for the redemption of the world in Christ. Uh, one aspect of uh, life as a Christian family is how families educate their children. Uh, and so it's worth spending a few minutes thinking about this, I think. Uh, and with that in place, excuse me, um, uh, it's worth just beginning by uh, issuing a caveat, uh, or not really a caveat, just an observation, I think. I've noticed that whenever Christians start talking about education, there is a, temp uh, a tendency for the temperature to increase slightly. And I think the reason for this is that it's very hard for us um, when we are talking about different educational choices to avoid hearing people's different choices, the different choices that people have made as a tacit criticism of our own choices when our choices differ from one another. And this is really deeply unfortunate. Um, it's very difficult, for example, if I start commending a particular philosophy of education, let's say classical education, or if I commend homeschooling um, as opposed to a Christian school, um, then anybody who has taken a different option in terms of the philosophy of their education or the setting which is carried out um, is likely to start feeling criticised as though they're being slighted in some way. Now, I've got, let me just clarify straight up front. This is absolutely not the intention of what I'm talking about today. I do not want to start drawing ideological lines within the broad uh, swathe of different approaches that Christians might wisely and legitimately take to educate their children. There's an important theological point behind this, which is that uh, there are different people in different circumstances and uh, making a wise decision about how to educate our children involves taking account of who the people are and what circumstances we're in. Uh, John Frame, one of my favourite and um, Pastor Neil's favourite theologians as well, 
uh, has clarified this in more formal terms, speaking of different perspectives on ethical and theological questions. There are always at least, uh, there are always three perspectives on uh, theological and ethical questions. The normative perspective, which addresses what the rules are, the norms that ought to be followed. But norms are never followed in a vacuum. Norms are followed by people, persons, in a particular situation. And John Frame has clarified uh, in formal terms, the existential or personal and situational perspectives also need to be taken into account in order to work out what to do. To put it another way, um, we might all be committed to Christian education when we should be committed to Christian education. But that does not mean that we are all the same or that we all find ourselves in the same situation. And therefore, to the extent that we are different or our circumstances are different or our children are different, it may be wise for us to make different educational choices concerning our children. And one of the challenges to us, this is, if you like, a stress test for our love for one another in the diversity in which God has made us. One of the challenges for us is to be patient and gracious and to listen to one another and try and learn from one another in, in spite of the fact that we may have made different choices uh, concerning how we raise our own children and particularly how we educate them. And it's a difficult challenge because we care so passionately about our children uh, and we need to resist that uh, so tempting instinctive urge to take offense whenever we encounter somebody who's doing something slightly different from what we're doing. Certainly isn't the intention here. Uh, and I hope it won't be the result in conversations arising from this podcast. So let's just um, kick off with the central conviction then that ought to um, illuminate where we're going as we approach this subject. It seems to me that scripture teaches fairly uncontroversially that we are called as parents to do the best job we can of raising our kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, of Ephesians 6, for example, Deuteronomy 6. That's fairly uncontroversial. Well, given that, it's incumbent upon us then to take seriously the task of teaching our children about the Lord and about his ways, about his word, about the world we find ourselves in, and about themselves, about human history, and about how everything works around us in the world. In other words, part of raising our children is the task of education. And just as we are called to raise our children in the natural admonition of the Lord, so we are called to educate our children in that way. That's what we ought to do. And we ought to do the best we can in the circumstances in which we find ourselves, given the people we are, to educate our children in that way. Now, that doesn't commit us to any particular model of education at the outset, but what it does do is set a set of priorities, um, which are theologically grounded priorities. And it's worth just spelling out um, some of the theological background to some of this. So let me just, um, before we pitch in and start thinking really, really practically, let me give you some of the, if you like, the theological scaffolding that underlies this central conviction. And then we'll jump in and think about some of the practical uh, how-tos and uh, some ideas that um, may be helpful as we're all thinking about this subject now or in the future. So the first underlying piece of theological scaffolding is the scriptural teaching about God's covenant promises to us in Christ. Uh, God has promised to be God to us and to our children. Uh, he is gracious, not just to his people, but to his people's children. And he welcomes them as members of his family, just like he welcomes us. So we had news this week of another child being born uh, into the family of God at All Saints. Well, that child is born into God's household and uh, uh, God's promises uh, terminate on and apply 
are extended to him just as to his parents. And what that requires from him and from them is faithfulness in living in accordance with God's promises. Education being part of upbringing is simply an aspect of that faithfulness. In other words, our commitment to Christian education and Christian nurture and Christian everything else flows from the fact that God has graciously welcomed our children into his family and we are to raise them within his family. The second uh, piece of theological scaffolding, if you like, um, and these are overlapping themes, as you'll quite quickly see, is the claim that the whole of life is to be brought under the Lordship of Christ. Jesus is Lord of everything, and therefore everything is to be understood and lived out in relation to him. We don't have the kind of faith where we say, well, we worship God on Sundays, and, and then, but my faith in Jesus doesn't affect um, how I work on Monday through Friday, or how I vote, or um, how I order my home, or how I speak to my wife, or how I... Uh, uh, play sport if I'm a sportsman or whatever. We have a faith which integrates everything under the rule of Jesus Christ. Christ is the Lord of all things, Ephesians 1. Uh, he's the head over everything. Um, and therefore, it's incumbent upon us to seek to bring all of our lives under the Lordship of Christ. So what that means is that history and art and geography and maths and science and everything else in principle ought to be understood and therefore ought to be taught in uh, a context that identifies its connection to the Lordship of Christ and subjects its content to the Lordship of Christ. That's the second foundational principle of the picture of Christian education I want to commend to you. And the third um, is actually a broader eschatological point, the third piece of um, theological scaffolding. You like. Now, remember when we talked about eschatology, one of the points I made is that it is a long-term process. The living God is in the process of long-term building his kingdom. Remember, for example, the imagery in the parables of Jesus of the yeast that gradually works its way through the leaven and the seed that gradually grows up and produces a crop. These are not explosive and immediate pictures. They're pictures of gradual growth and development over time. And that's how we ought to expect to see the kingdom grow. We ought not to be distressed and disappointed if it doesn't happen overnight. We ought to recognize that in God's providence, uh, it will take a long time. And he's just designed things this way. And God be praised. This is how he's chosen to order history. Well, there are a few things which give a clearer picture of this gradual long-term kingdom growth than the gradual long-term task of educating a child. All of us, by embarking upon the process of raising and educating our children, are recognising the long-term investment that is involved in kingdom work. Uh, if you've ever tried to teach a child to read, or teach a child calculus, or teach a child the second law of motion, or the first law of thermodynamics, or introduce a child to Shakespeare, you will know that all of these things manifest in glorious technicolor, the fact that this is a long-term process. Now, that is an important practical point because it needs to set our expectations about how uh, we're going to find this as, we, as it starts to unfold for us. But those three um, overlapping theological points form some of the basic theological scaffolding for um, what we're going to be talking about in the next few minutes, God's covenant promises to his 
people and their children, uh, the Lordship of Christ over all things and the gradual character of eschatology, which means that we ought to be committed to the long-term process, the necessarily long-term process of raising our children. Just illustratively, just as an aside briefly, imagine what it would be like if you, th- if you didn't uh, hold to those three um, theological foundations. If you didn't think all of life were under the Lordship of Christ, then there's no good reason you might think there might be no good reason to imagine that uh, education ought to be subject to the Lordship of Christ and it could safely be delegated to anybody, never mind whether they were Christians or not. Uh, if you thought that eschatology uh, was a an overnight explosive process, then you're going to be um, somewhat nervous about embarking on a long-term project like educating a child because, hey, you might not have time before the second coming. Or if you thought that God's covenant promises didn't extend to children, then it wouldn't really make sense logically to raise your children as Christians. You'd be evangelizing them rather. You can see, therefore, how it's by affirming these theological foundations we start to see um, the uh, ways in the ways in which they uh, form a foundation for um, the commitment to Christian education that I might want to commend to you. Now, on that note, let's take a deep breath and just start thinking practically for a moment. Uh, there are many different ways to go about educating a child Christianly. And I think it's sometimes helpful to place them on a sliding scale in which we move from one end of the scale where you just have an individual family uh, or mum and dad with their child uh, towards at the other end of the scale where you have a large number of families in cooperation um, raising or educating rather their children together. Now, at the first end of the scale, you've got... Um, individual family, homeschooling, just with resources they have themselves. Uh, and then as you move further along that scale, you might have the incorporation of other resources, perhaps external teaching, uh, external tuition for one or two subjects. Uh, you move further along the scale, uh, you might have um, what uh, some might refer to as a co-op, a group of families working together part of the time or a group of families working together all the time. There are more formal networks that operate in this kind of way. And then right at the other end of the spectrum, you've got uh, Christian schools with uh, which are full-time, full in, uh, full enrollment, uh, five days a week, and so on and so forth. So you can start to see um, there are these different ways of doing it, if you like. Now, a couple of obvious points here. Um, what uh, choice you make along that spectrum is going to be dependent on the circumstances you find yourself in. Clearly, if there is no large uh, full-time Christian school near you that you can afford, you're not going to be sending your children there. That was the circumstance in which we found ourselves um, back in London when we started home educating our kids um, back in about 2000 and I guess 2006 and Ben, ben was born in 2003 so we started in 2006-2007 I guess formally thinking about education at that point we already been teaching them to read and that sort of thing before that but now, there were no Christian schools near us that we could afford um, and therefore that option was off the table for us but if it had been on the table maybe we would have considered it I don't know um, but it's helpful just to think for a second about that portfolio of options and consider the various pros and cons at different points on the spectrum. Uh, At one end of the spectrum, 
where you have the uh, individual uh, family with their own uh, resources educating their own children. Uh, you have the plus side, a whole lot more autonomy. You can do more or less what you want. And uh, you can respond, therefore, to individual children's needs. You can imagine a child who is particularly quick in, a, in one subject. You could push them along faster. Um, you could uh, slow down a little bit for a child who struggled in a particular area. Um, if you had a child with special educational needs, if they were the kind of needs that you were equipped to meet, then you could respond very, very well to them. Uh, in that kind of situation. Uh, the autonomy is uh, maybe limited in some jurisdictions by uh, regulations about what education is required and so on. Um, but nonetheless, if you're working on just on your own, you probably have the highest amount of autonomy that you're likely to get uh, in any setting like that. And it's possible to imagine, therefore, um, children really flourishing in that kind of environment because they uh, uh, the parents and the children can respond well to each other and uh, uh, whether it's in relation to subjects they find particularly interesting or pushing them academically because they're particularly able or helping them in subjects where they're not doing so well. All those things can work very well in that kind of context. But there are downsides uh, and it's not easy, not difficult, sorry, to see what they might be. Um, anybody who's ever educated uh, Children, especially in a small family, will know of the um, possibility of loneliness for the kids. It's not uh, always uh, easy to, uh, depending on the geographical context you find yourself in, to find friends and so on for them. Um, uh, obviously, you're going to have a church community of some kind, and All Saints is a large and vibrant church community, but during the week, it's quite possible for children to spend days and days and days and not see many people besides one or two siblings. Loneliness is also something which extends to the parents, particularly mum, if mum is the one who's primarily involved in this educational enterprise at the practical level. Uh, and that's something that needs to be borne in mind. And it can be bewildering and uh, uh, quite challenging for, for mums working out how to uh, make progress with their children when they don't feel they're supported or they don't have people around them so much. And, and many would love something like that and would benefit from it. Um, I think we've got to be honest with ourselves as well and say that um, whilst being on your own, doing things in a homeschool environment with the only structure being the structure that you provide, does allow us to push our children and to encourage them to aspire to great things and to, to encourage them to, to work well and work fast through things uh, to reach the peak of their capacity. It's also possible for us to allow standards to slip. Because after all, we're just working on our own. There's nobody sort of keeping tabs on us. Um, it's uh, difficult sometimes to know where would be a reasonable point for a child to get to. And in subjects where children find the work difficult, uh, there's nobody over the teacher's shoulder saying, well, you've got to get to the end of this chapter or the end of this book or the end of this section by a certain time. And you can see very quickly how it will become at least a danger that we'd have to guard against, that our own standards would slip slightly in relation to uh, what we're expecting of our children. It's not to say this is inevitable, but it's something that we've wrestled with, certainly. Um, we didn't want to be dictated to by some kind of arbitrary 
um, framework for, let's say, how far and how fast a child should be progressing in maths or science. But nonetheless, we, we recognized that we didn't know when uh, would be a, a reasonable time for our children to start trigonometry or uh, to start doing um, formal analysis in uh, the sciences as opposed to um, more uh, hand-wavy observational uh, kind of work. It's not easy to work this out. And one of the benefits of a larger community of people is that you've at least got some uh, baseline for comparison uh, to see how you're doing in pushing your own children along compared to other people. Now, if you then think about the um, advantages and uh, disadvantages at the other end of the spectrum, you can see very quickly they are roughly the inverse of what we've just said. So whereas um, a homeschool environment uh, gives high level of autonomy, one of the disadvantages of the school is it takes a lot of that autonomy away. On the other hand, it does provide a huge amount of benefit in um, uh, providing a framework and a structure for children's education, uh, overcoming issues like loneliness, if they find it lonely during the day, working on their own and so on and so forth. You can easily see how uh, the pros and cons make sense uh, at different ends of that spectrum. And somewhere in the middle, uh, it's not to say that there's a, there's a happy medium and we all ought to be trying to land in the middle somewhere. But one of the helpful things that we found as we thought about um, our own kids is how can we be honest about um, what the strengths and weaknesses are of the particular uh, approaches that we've taken? Um, and so I'll just narrate you through um, what we did from an early stage. And this will then serve just to transition into the last few things. I want to talk about some particular challenges that we faced. Um, Right at the beginning, when we were uh, convicted by uh, the scriptural requirement to educate our children Christianly as best we could, we simply did not know where to start. We had no clue where to start. Uh, and okay, so you sort of, it's not quite true, you have no clue where to start. I mean, you, you were gonna teach our children to read when we'd sort of been doing that, but, um, and we're doing numbers and colors and this kind of thing. But beyond that, where do you go next? And we were tremendously blessed by having a number of other couples uh, around us at that time. I was uh, finishing up a theological seminary and we had a number of other couples around us at that time who were also thinking about uh, taking a, a seriously Christian education for their children. Uh, some were students at the seminary, one or two faculty members as well. And so we formed an informal co-op and did a bunch of things together. We worked together for a couple of days a week. Um, and uh, then the rest of the time, different teachers had taught different subjects for the children together and they'd give different kind of homework and so on for the children uh, the rest of the time. It works very familiar to any of you who've uh, ever been in that kind of situation. And we found it tremendously helpful, just giving us a sense of uh, where to begin. The flip side was it very quickly became clear that different children, even in these small groups of um, families where we're all, uh, in terms of our Christian convictions, pretty much on the same page, we're all trying to do the same kind of thing. You have vast differences in abilities between children, especially in subjects where um, it, it's not to be put too fine a point in it. You either get it or you don't in relation to certain problems like in maths. There were just wide gaps in people's abilities. 
And so we had to wrestle with that. And it, it took a long time and lots of patience, especially from the mums who are doing the teaching and so on. Um, and then uh, over time, so we did that for a few years. Uh, and over time, the, the people who were in the cult with us moved away. And we found ourselves on our own and mostly homeschooling on our own. Um, once we got to doing it on our own, we then found it was quite difficult to um, uh, get integrated with other people again, because um, uh, once you've started down a particular path, you've invested in a particular curriculum, you've um, started, let's say, a particular Greek course or a particular math course, the time that you've put into it uh, means that you're kind of committed to this because the effort required to uh, shift from this course to something else would be so great it's just not practical to do it so you end up with well there were two or three occasions in our life where uh, it would have been lovely to start um, working alongside another family uh, in educating our children with them uh, and we we had children about the same ability about the same age doing the same kind of courses but the, it would not have been practical for either parent to switch courses at that point because the effort required was just would take them beyond their capacity to do it. So mostly we modelled through on our own. Um, uh, there were a number of occasions where uh, other parents asked us to um, teach their children one or two subjects. We taught, um, we had one or two children in our home uh, participating in our science classes or our math classes uh, uh, here and there over the years. But mostly we've just carried on on our own. And then when we moved to the US about a year ago, um, we uh, had our children participating in the Oaks tutorials a little bit, just the theology classes. And um, I think this year there's um, a choir as well that um, Abby has been participating in. We've really benefited from that. Uh, and the obvious strengths uh, are uh, all the things we talked about before uh, that come from being part of a larger community. And then the, the downsides, it's a time commitment, it's a travel commitment and so on and so forth. So that's the kind of situation that we found ourselves in. Now, just um, as we um, uh, finish up, I've a couple of notes um, here I wanted to sh share with you. Um, uh, really um, ongoing challenges for parents uh, thinking about education, whatever kind of situation we're in. The first is um, the old challenge of formal academic progress. One of the dangers is that uh, it's tremendously demanding, especially on mums who often, uh, almost always, carrying the majority of the workload for the day-to-day -day education of their children. It's tremendously demanding on mums to push their children towards what they could achieve academically in the absence of good old-fashioned peer pressure or some other external structure that forces a certain um, kind of pressure towards academic performance. And we all know that academic outcomes are not everything, uh, but academic outcomes are not nothing. And so one of the challenges that I think is wise for us all to face up to is to think, okay, how do we take a mature and faithful and godly and wise approach to uh, thinking about the best way to push our children academically? Um, we want our children to succeed in academic terms as well as in every other way. Um, and yet at the same time, we don't want to make it this kind of idol of 
getting certain grades or uh, getting into a certain college or whatever it is. And it's a difficult balance. We can't ignore the difficulties associated with that. Um, so that's one thought to leave you with. The other thing I want to mention, um, uh, a lot of the motivation for Christian education uh, connects with an underlying commitment to give our children a background Christian culture in which to grow up. And that is entirely right and laudable. It's wonderful, for, we found for our children over the years to have Christian friends who they can uh, get close to and be encouraged by and uh, be spurred on by towards greater faithfulness in Christ. It raises, of course, the challenge of working out when and how it's appropriate for our children to be exposed to uh, the non-Christian world, so to speak. Um, and again, this is not a question to which there's a kind of easy one-size-fits-all answer. Um, and it's certainly not a question that's going to go away. Um, just one little cameo, and I'll leave you with this. When, when Ben was really quite young, I think he was about seven or eight years old, we took him along to uh, football, as in soccer uh, training, um, once a week, just for like an hour or so. And I was there with him and we thought this was probably, you know, it's an hour a week, dad's there, I can see what's going on. You know, it's, it's um, a helpful way of uh, introducing a child to a certain amount of uh, non-Christian influence, if you like. Well, it, it, we hadn't been there very many weeks before it became obvious that some of the language that was being used by some of the um, children and indeed by the coach was, well, let's just say on, uh, on the way home one evening, uh, Ben remarked to me that, uh, Daddy, I don't hear you using those words, uh, to which I replied, you're quite right, Ben. You don't hear me using words like that. Um, and it was actually quite helpful because what it meant was that we were in this context where we um, quite deliberately and self-consciously um, tried to find a non-Christian environment in which Ben could dip his little toe you know, with dad alongside him and watching him play football and getting to know the other parents and so on. And we were able to talk and engage about how, how do we deal with an environment in which other kids are using foul language and other parents are using foul language and even the coach is using foul language and so on. And for a six or seven or eight year old kid, that's really quite significant because it starts to get them to think Christianly about how to interact with a non-Christian world without selling the farm and just dumping them in the non-Christian world um, without any supervision or guidance or feedback or anything like that. Anyway, I think that's probably uh, enough just to get the ball rolling. I apologize um, that this uh, has probably seemed a little bit rambling. Um, I understand that COVID is supposed to make your head a little bit fuzzy for a few days after it um, goes away. And maybe I'm in the middle of that um, fuzzy headedness right now. But I nonetheless hope that this has um, been uh, stimulating and thought provoking. And if it's stimulated or provoked any thoughts you want to talk about, then please, 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 as always, give me a shout and send me an email. I'd love to hear from you and we can talk some more. And certainly we'll talk about this issue on other occasions in future. But for now, the Lord bless you. Take care and see you next time. Bye now.